Good morning, everybody. What do you say we start a brand new week in the Word? How about that? My name is Tim Harris. This is Tim with Tim. We're going to go Monday through Friday each week, going verse by verse through the Word of God, and we are right now in the middle of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. I appreciate you so much. I'm so glad that you're with me. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Those of you who are live with me, those of you who are on Spotify, those of you who watch me later, those of you who binge watch on the weekends, uh, those of you who just now found us, uh, welcome. Uh, thank you for being a part of my life in the Word and our life together in the Word. Uh, it's always good. The Word of God is food for our souls, but it is somehow even better when we share it together. So, so thanks for being with me today. Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 20. Let me just remind you how Acts chapter 9 begins, if you've forgotten since last week. It just begins with Saul. Uh, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. He was a persecutor. By the end of this chapter, really not even by the end of it, because this chapter goes on into tomorrow's reading. By the end of uh, verse 31, Saul the persecutor has become the persecuted, and it's one of the most radical conversion stories ever. Uh, if uh, there are skeptics about the resurrection or skeptics about the gospel, Saul's story alone is enough to make a believer out of you. You understand? There is no way to explain this kind of radical personality pivot, this kind of radical um, reconfiguration of every part of a person. No way to explain this apart from uh, the amazing power of the risen Christ, whom Saul meets on the road to Damascus. So now we're picking up right here. Really, I say verse 20, it's really the end of, end of verse 19. Uh, Saul stayed with believers in Damascus for a few days, it says. Um, again, Saul has just now recovered his sight uh, after Ananias has prayed for him. And the fact that he stays with them for a few days, I think that's intended to suggest that not only that they care for him, they nurture him back to health. Remember, he hasn't eaten or drank for days, so they're feeding him, they're sort of nurturing him back. But I also think the implication there is that they're discipling him. Paul has lived his life as a Pharisee. He is a scholar, and, and we know a student of Gamaliel, who uh, is you know, a, a famous rabbi. But at the same time, Saul has never read the Old Testament, read the scriptures uh, with an eye toward salvation history through Jesus. And so it's likely that the believers there begin to lay the Christian story out to him. Uh, but it takes no time at all. Verse 20 says, immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the son of God. And uh, all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused its devastation? They asked, didn't he come here to arrest us? You know, it's amazing that Saul preaches his first sermon in Damascus, where he literally came to uh, throw all the Christians in jail. And now, you know, look who loves you now. <laughs> Saul is himself preaching the gospel of Jesus. His preaching becomes more and more powerful, the scripture says. The Jews couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. That word proof there is from the Greek word uh, uh, symbobatso. Uh, I, I don't know if I say that correctly. Symbobatso, it means to put together. So it's the idea that Saul puts together, you know, the Old Testament uh, text with uh, how they are fulfilled in Jesus. He puts that together in a way that other Jews like him, Jews who are non-believers, uh, they weren't able to refute. 
you know, they, they might not have believed it, but they weren't able to counter the argument. The Old Testament points to Jesus and Saul is able to lay that out for them. This is just a radical conversion experience and it is absolutely amazing. Uh, so the Jews couldn't refute his arguments and if you can't beat him, you might as well kill him. You know, I mean, that's the way Saul used to think, you know. So in many, many ways, Saul is getting now what he's been giving out. And, and I guess the question for you is, do you, are you feeling sorry for him yet? Do you feel sorry for Saul when Saul meets himself and the religious leaders, the Jews there in Damascus, and they get ready to kill him? You feel sorry for him because that's who he was, you know, like a few days ago. I mean, that's exactly who Saul was, and that's how he thought, and that's what he did. And now Saul's just getting a taste of his own medicine. Do you feel sorry for him? I do, but I recognize He's getting a taste of his own medicine, and I'm sure the irony itself isn't lost on Saul. I mean, this is a very, very abrupt turnaround, and now uh, he is uh, meeting the opposition from people uh, just like he was. Um, again, it's, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, also amazing in verse 25, it says, so during the night, again, they're watching uh, to see a chance to kill him, and so the scripture says, um, Saul learns about their plot. So during the night, some of his disciples, that's what it says literally in verse 25. The New Living Translation just says other believers because it's kind of hard to imagine that in this short time, Saul has disciples, but I, I don't find it that hard to believe. I tend to take that scripture, that translation there kind of literally. I think it probably is some of Saul's disciples. Um, I think that Saul, you know, if his Arguments in the synagogues are that compelling. I think people are coming to Christ because of Saul. Saul's ability to put together, you know, the gospel with the Old Testament is extraordinary. Remember, Saul is God's chosen instrument for this. And so he's born for this. He's created for this. And I just think that it's not unlikely at all that very quickly you have um, individuals very devoted to Saul and very devoted to Saul's teaching. So some of his disciples decide to help him escape. They lower him in a laundry basket. They, they uh, probably remember how the houses in the ancient world are built up against inside the walls. So there's probably a house with a window that, you know, that opens up into the wall. And so they uh, lower Saul down in a basket to allow him to escape from Damascus. And so Saul goes to Jerusalem. You know, last time Saul was in Jerusalem, to my knowledge, you know, he was standing there holding a coat so everybody could stone Stephen. And so it is not surprising that when Saul rolls into town, all the believers are afraid of him. They've learned by experience. I mean, what's is it Maya Angelou that says when somebody shows you who they are, believe them? Saul has shown them that he is a persecutor, that he has shown them that he will travel days for the opportunity to put Christians in jail. And so when he comes back to Jerusalem, obviously they all are afraid of him. And then they hear the rumor that he's become a believer and they're like, yeah, right. You know, that, that's a trick. He's going to act like a believer coming to the church and kill us all. I mean, you know, it is hard, hard to believe uh, in another person, uh, let alone to believe another person can change as radically as we're now being told Saul has changed. And so uh, in comes Barnabas, and, and I love this. Remember his name means son of encouragement. Barnabas is, is this amazing person. Now, very much like Ananias. Now we've got two men in one chapter. Uh, what the Holy Spirit does to convert Saul is amazing, but Saul at the same time 
is never going to find his feet unless there are people who believe in him. Ananias first, and now Barnabas. Barnabas puts his name on the line here just to say, listen, you know, uh, he's one of us. You know, he tells about what happened and he backs up, saw a story about his, you know, uh, conversion on the road to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul and, and how Saul's been preaching boldly for the name of Jesus in Damascus. I don't know how Barnabas knows everything he knows about Saul, but one way or the other, um, Barnabas is, you know, vouching for him. Barnabas's willingness to say, hey, give him a chance, you know, he's different. That's just amazing. I said it Friday. I'll say it again, man. Everybody needs an Ananias. Everybody needs a Barnabas in their life. And, uh, and, uh, and I think that's why it's so important for you and me to go out and be Barnabas. You know, man, it's hard to change. And if you know somebody trying to change, will you just get behind them and support them? It's just too easy to sit back and wait for people to fail. And that's what everybody does. If you've ever tried to change, you know how it is. You know, your old friends don't want you to change because if you change, that means they can change too and they don't want to change. And and then the people that you've hurt or the people that know about you, they don't forget what they've heard. And uh, man, we just all need someone like Barnabas to come up and say, hey, give her a chance. Give him a chance. I think he's different. I think he's worth it, you know, which is what Barnabas does. So Saul stays with the apostles all around Jerusalem with him. He preaches boldly in the name of the Lord. He debates some of the Greek-speaking Jews. They try to kill him too. I mean, again, this amazing conversion from persecutor to persecuted in, in, the, in, the, in the space of 31 verses is just breathtaking. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. Now right there, uh, verse 30, um, Saul is, because of those who want to kill him, he is sent away. Uh, and this sort of begins, uh, you have to read between the lines here, but it begins what is sometimes called Paul's silent years. There's a space of about, of about 10 years now that we're not going to hear from Saul. Now, he's going to show up in chapter 13 next week, you know, when we're reading through the book of Acts, and you're going to, you're going to have hardly missed him. But I'm telling you, it's about 10 years that he's absent from the story uh, we don't know a whole lot about what happens, but I promise you, he is God's chosen instrument, and maybe uh, there's some sharpening of the tool that's going to happen before he is ready to do what God has called him to do. So uh, Saul goes to Tarsus, his hometown, and uh, he's going to disappear for about 10 years. Verse 31, one of those summary statements that, that Luke loves, the church that had peace throughout Judea. Again, what begins with Saul is breathing murderous you know, threats against the church. The chapter, you know, verse 31 just gets around to saying, yeah, now there's peace. You know, Saul is converted. Now there's peace. The believers are growing stronger, no longer living in fear. The Holy Spirit continues to encourage and add to the numbers. So that good. That's just so good. And that's not the end of the chapter. We'll pick up right here tomorrow in verse 32. We'll finish out chapter 9 tomorrow morning. Okay, so I will see you in the morning, 10 o'clock, Lord willing, for Tim with Tim. I love you all so much. It's a beautiful Monday it's a day that God has given us. It's my day off. I'll, I'll see you at Myers if you do your grocery shopping on Monday like I do. But otherwise, just stay in the word, you all. Stay faithful, and I'll see you tomorrow uh, for Tim with Tim. I love you all.